Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mayor Greg Fisher podcast. I am Greg Fisher. Uh, from my first day in office almost 12 years ago, I said that our first community value was going to be lifelong learning. And in order for lifelong learning to come alive, you have to have a super, super strong uh, public library system. And unfortunately, with Louisville Free Public Libraries, we have one of the best library systems in the entire country. When you think about the libraries, they provide an educational ecosystem. Uh, they provide all kind of platforms to residents to reach their full human potential. That takes us into another one of our values of compassion. So it could just be a good old-fashioned way that you experience a library with a normal hardcover book or doing some research, or you could have an e-book or audios or music and uh, uh, movies. If you want it, the library's got it. Now, since 2011, here's some stats. Our libraries have provided nearly 90,000 free educational classes and innovative programs. Think about that. These are programs. They've checked out nearly 41 million books, served 28 million visitors across Metro, and of course we see nothing but increasing demand for our meeting spaces. They serve as centers for learning, community gathering points, and then social safety nets as well. So these numbers are just part of the truly amaz amazing story that is the growth of the Louisville Free Public Library System. So today we're going to dive into the library and all that it entails. And to do that, I'm really grateful to be joined by Lee Birchfield, the Executive Director of the Library System. Lee, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. So you've got a fascinating job. You run one of the country's best library systems. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you prepared yourself for such an undertaking. Sure. So it's, you know, one of the things that I've learned since I've been working in libraries is that everybody who works in a library has a library story, right, of, of how they ended up being there. Uh, when I was in eighth grade, uh, I was sitting in study hall, and uh, I, I don't know what your experience in study hall might have been like, but... Uh, it could have been it, more focused. It could have, I could have been more focused and it could have been more engaging, right? Uh, and somebody came by and said, hey, you know, if anybody's interested in volunteering to work in the middle school library during your study hall, we're taking volunteers and my hand shot up. And it, it wasn't anything particular about the library. It was just, all right, something other than this. So I volunteered to work in that library. And so for one hour a day, I would go in and I would just help the librarian that ran that library shelve books, put things away, straighten things up, dust things. And over the time that I spent there, I just came to really love that experience of being there. So then when I got to high school, I started looking for the opportunity to volunteer. So my freshman year of high school, I volunteered to work in my high school library. I was the guy, uh, this, this is gonna be some dated technology, but I would roll the film strip projector or the movie projector around to the classroom and show the movies. And so now I wasn't just getting out of study hall. You know, like I would have to like get a note to not be in class because I had to go show a movie somewhere. Uh, and again, just really loved that experience of being there in the center, that hub of all of that information and knowledge and learning. So when I got to college, I was on work study. And I went to the work study meeting and it was in the chapel at the university I went to. And they said, okay, if you wanna work in the, the cafeteria, go to the left side of the room. And if you wanna work in the library, go to the right side. So I went to the library side. Still had no idea I wanted to be a librarian or work in a library professionally. But I spent three years working in that library and I got to know the people who worked there and I thought, these are really awesome people and this is just a really great experience. And you know, you'd take books back to shelve them and you'd put them on the shelf and, and you would find something you didn't know existed and it just sparked that 
that curiosity and imagination. As they say on TV, yada, 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 uh, I ended up doing a, a master's degree and a PhD in religious studies because I thought what I wanted to do was teach college. I had had this great curiosity about all of the ways that our culture is influenced by, by our history and uh, wanted to, to learn more about that and teach people about that and help them understand it. Lots of changes happening in higher education, so while I was writing a PhD dissertation, I remembered that experience in college and I went to UK and got my master's in library science. And here I am. Yeah, and did you come straight to work at Louisville Free Public Library? At, after I finished my uh, MLS, I applied for three jobs, one at a special library, uh, which was the NASA headquarters library in Washington, D.C. Would have been a fascinating place to work. But the salary was so low that well, I think we were going to have to live in West Virginia and I would have to take the train in to, to D.C. every day. I applied for a job at uh, Emory University uh, in, in their theology library down there and then I applied for a job as the assistant manager at the Iroquois branch. And the, I got the offer from Iroquois and I, I loved Louisville and didn't really want to leave and, and so I took That's that good. job. All right, so you talked about the Iroquois branch. Give us some kind of idea of what the scope of our facilities are. Sure. So we have 17 locations around the county. Uh, the, the Central Library, our main library at York Street, has been there since, 19, since it opened in 1908. Uh, we've recently built three regional libraries, recently like in the last 10 or 12 years, have built three regional libraries. These are like 40,000 square foot libraries and in a lot of places would be like a main library in a, a smaller community. Uh, and then we have, in addition to those, we have 13 branches around the county that are smaller neighborhood branches, often walkable, have a small collection of mostly popular materials, public computers available to the community and meeting space that the community can use. Just so much excitement going on with the new libraries. And of course, we've talked about the Fern Creek Library coming on back on board again. Uh, yeah, sure. So. Uh, the Fern Creek Library closed about three years ago as a result of some budget challenges from uh, pension obligations that the city incurs. Uh, we're really excited with the uh, ARP funding that we've got the money now. Uh, we're in the process of closing on a couple of pieces of property in the vicinity of Fern Creek High School and are going to be able to get started pretty quickly, I think, on building a new Fern Creek Library and, you know, Part of the irony here is that everybody was disappointed to see Fern Creek close, but that was one of those libraries that was in a really fast growing, very well populated area. It was very heavily used, but it was inadequate in terms of the size. We were in a little storefront in a strip mall. We're gonna build about an 18,000 square foot library out in Fern Creek, and out of all of this sort of uh, difficulty that we've been going through, we're going to end up with a much better library yeah. to serve the no, Fern Creek that. neighborhood. I was born in Fern Creek. Oh, yeah. Creek is rising, Didn't as know we that. say. That's yeah. right. And then, of course, we had to close the Middletown Library back in the mm -hmm. recession as well. We were able to open that back up around six months ago or so. We talked about the regional libraries. You know, when we started working together some 12 years ago, we were still in the Great Recession. But it was important to me that we began investing in libraries even deeper. And, and the libraries have been invested in by the city for quite some time, but we wanted to expand the footprint, really say what this lifelong learning 
uh, comes to life. So that was the Southwest Regional Library, wanted to be along Dixie Highway in the southwest part of the community. And, and you mentioned we have three regional libraries now. We're going to have a fourth coming up pretty soon, technically. So talk about that fourth one, what's involved with that, the funding, and what do you see the role as these regional libraries? Sure. So in a lot of neighborhoods, um, we have smaller library facilities, and they're really convenient for people to get to, sometimes on foot, sometimes by bicycle, sometimes by bus or car. But our service area, being the entirety of Jefferson County, is so large that if you don't live near downtown, you didn't really have access to a full-size, full-scale library, a full-service library. The main library was really the only place in our system that did that prior to those three regional libraries. So that was really where that idea of regional libraries came from, was we wanted everybody in the county to be within a reasonable distance from a really large library that had the most modern, innovative, uh, up-to-date library services and great collection of materials. So we built those three regional libraries and they were all designed and built in the last 10 years and the combination of public funding with private money raised by the Library Foundation made it possible for us to build what are really three world-class library facilities there. I, I visit a lot of public libraries and I don't go to any that are nicer than our three regional libraries. But that kind of left our main library downtown a little behind the curve as far as library services go in our community. And for people who live in the, the urban services district, the, the core, downtown core, and in West Louisville, the main library really is their regional, full service, large collection library. So what, what the ARP money that we've recently- American uh, Rescue Plan. The American Rescue Plan money that, that we've recently uh, had allocated, uh, $8 million for the main library, is going to allow us to make changes at Maine which will give us the opportunity to offer the kinds of services at the main library that right now people who live close to Maine have to travel to Valley Station or Okalona or Northeast to get to. Things like a demonstration kitchen and an audio video uh, recording studio with a green screen, a sewing lab, a, a collider uh, artist in residence program at South Central. So all of those things, we're really space constrained at Maine right now and this money is gonna allow us to, to free up some space and be able to offer those kinds of services. Makerspace? Makerspace, definitely a makerspace. Um, and we don't really know what, what that's gonna look like. I have people uh, offering me suggestions saying, you know, we should have a demonstration kitchen at Maine or we should have a, a, a sewing lab at Maine or a, a makerspace like they have at Northeast or a recording. And I'm like, well, we already have one of those somewhere. What, what can we do that's different? One of the things that I'm really excited about um, is the idea of creating an interactive artificial intelligence experience for people. AI is really everywhere in our, in our society now. People don't really understand what it is, how it impacts them, and what it means to them, and there aren't a lot of questions being asked about the ethics of it. I would love to see something like that happen. I had a conversation with uh, Grace Simrall from the Office of uh, Innov Performance and Innovation, 
and um, she's on board with that. So I think she and I are going to collaborate on some ideas for how we can That's do something. Like yeah, that. Grace is you know one of 35 people in the country on the White House Task Force for Innovation. She's the only representative of city or state government. So we're proud to have her on the team in our Future Work Institute. Part of our strain of work there is AI for good, mm -hmm. right? Artificial intelligence for bad is not going to help anybody. So what does that look like? So it's yeah. a great area to focus on. What I do know, and I've got a lot of confidence in you and the team, is you're going to stretch the boundaries of what's available because these regional libraries are not your grandfather's library. You know, it's a whole different experience. I think that's why we see our numbers, you know, going up at our libraries and also great interest in them as community meeting spaces is, is good. So downtown in particular is going to have the amazing architecture that we have downtown then with the beautiful innovation that we're seeing here in the 2020s. So it's going to be really fascinating to see how it comes together. You mentioned the American Rescue Plan uh, funds are helping to bring that to life. The library receives some ARP funds and some other spaces as well. And you might want to tell us what's going to benefit from that. Sure. So uh, the first project that I would mention is our Portland Library. It's uh, 111 years old. Um, it's an original Carnegie Library. It's a beautiful building uh, out on Northwestern Parkway. But all of those Carnegie libraries were designed to be sort of grand entrances. So there are steps that go up from the front and there are steps that go up from the side, creates all sort of handicap accessibility issues. That library was designed on four different levels. It, it's sort of uh, an intricate maze inside. And the upshot of that is that in terms of usable space for public service, the Portland Library is really the smallest library in our system because of handicap accessibility issues. So with ARP funding combined with some Metro Capital money and some state construction grant money, we're going to be able to do about a 4,500 square foot addition on the back of that Portland Library, solve the handicap accessibility issues, uh, renovate the interior and exterior of the historic building uh, to solve some some issues that crop up when you have a building that's over a hundred years old and really bring the Portland Library in terms of uh, both uh, appearance fit and finish but also in terms of library services bring it up to a par with some of the newer libraries we've built like the Middletown Library the St. Matthews Library. So then the Parkland Library let's talk a little bit about that and that will the Parkland Library now become the smallest of our libraries? No, it, it won't. The, sadly, the, the Shively Library will, okay. will inherit that, that so, term. So what to, how did the Parkland Library come to be? Sure. So the, the Parkland Library uh, was an original branch of the system. It, it was opened in the early 1900s, uh, closed in the late 70s or early 80s. Uh, when the library was not yet a part of local government and was having some, some financial difficulties and has been closed for 30 years and in use by Louisville Metro Police Department as some office space for one of their units. Uh, public uh, grassroots groundswell of desire to see the Parkland Neighborhoods Library reopened uh, has really driven the activity uh, to have us at the point of having a fully funded renovation budget 
where we can renovate that library and modernize it and reopen it as a public library space to serve Parkland. And another Carnegie Library, I it's believe? another Carnegie Library. What, what, what is that? Explain to oh, sure. folks. What sure. That. So uh, Car Carnegie, when you hear people refer to libraries as Carnegie Libraries, uh, what that means is that in the late 1800s and early 1900s, Andrew Carnegie, uh, wealthy industrialist and philanthropist from, uh, I guess, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, wanted to see American cities have great public library facilities and he would uh, grant money from his personal wealth to cities to build libraries. Uh, the, the best example of a Carnegie Library here is the, the 1908 building at 301 York Street. Uh, so the main downtown the, the library. Main, yeah, the, the main library. And so the Louisville Free Public Library submitted a proposal to Andrew Carnegie, Carnegie to, to get funding for, I think, five or six branches originally. Uh, he a awarded the funds to the city and they started building those libraries. And the way his grants worked is that he would give you enough money to build a really nice library and there were two conditions on that money. One was you had to spend all of the money that he gave you. And the second one was that the city had to commit to operating the library. So he wasn't providing any operating funding. And because of that requirement that you had to spend all the money that he gave you, communities didn't just build library buildings, they built library buildings that were really beautiful architectural gems. And so now you can you can go to a website and you can find out where all of the original Carnegie libraries are in the country, see photographs of them, find out what they're what they've been repurposed as or if they're still in use as a public yeah. library. That was amazing, you know, I've read Carnegie back at the time said, you know, this is my money, but I couldn't have made it were it not for society, so I want to give back to society. And these libraries have been a fabulous uh, gift and have obviously kept on giving for a long time. We have another fabulous uh, piece of history with our library system with the Western Library and, uh, and the famed librarian scientist uh, Dr. Or Thomas Fountainbleu. Uh, so talk to us a little bit about that and where does that fit in the history of the city and the history of the country for that matter? Sure, so it, it's, you know, it's one of those stories that is both a great story and a, a discouraging story, right? Because Thomas Fountainbleu was the first African-American to be placed uh, in charge of a public library in the United States, which is a really significant historical accomplishment. Uh, so he was, uh, he was in charge of operating the Western Branch Library, uh, but of course the, the context was that at the time, uh, that was a library for African Americans because they were not allowed to use the other library facilities in the system. So you always kind of have to keep that in mind while, while you're celebrating that, but um, Given that there was an absolute lack of opportunity for library professionals uh, that was open to black Americans, he really started a training program to recruit and train people to go out and apply for jobs doing that. Uh, had a profound impact, not just locally, but nationally in terms of uh, changing people's perception and creating a model that people could follow in order to uh, cre create a system that would develop new professionals who could go out and find jobs in the library profession. Uh, so he's been honored by the American Library Association. Uh, he's universally recognized in the library profession as a pioneer and a, a groundbreaking individual. 
Um, unfortunately, uh, history was not so kind to him, and so as you know, he's currently um, buried at Eastern Cemetery here in Louisville in an unmarked grave. And then tomorrow, July 16th, 2022, we will be rededicating a headstone on his grave, and his wife is uh, resting next to him. Yes. So as we find these points out about our history, we have to correct them, uh, celebrate the great achievement and pioneer that Thomas Fountain Blue was, and against all odds. And of course, the Western Library was our only black-run library at the time as well. So it's interesting to see where we were, where we are now, and where we're going. And it's important that stories are like this are told and people understand them so we can create better futures from us. We've got tremendous enthusiasm from our patrons at the library. So before we check off of our broadcast here, let's hear from them. I think that the library has improved and expanded in what it offers the community. We know that the library is more than a place to get books. Books are wonderful, but the library is a resource. It's a resource to the community. Families come to the library with their children for story time or a way to spend the afternoon. For the community to have more libraries and library services, I think it means that you feel valued when you walk into the library and there is something that speaks to you, you know that the library is thinking about the people who live within that community. For the community to have more libraries and library services, I think that it means that the community feels valued. They feel a part of the library. They feel that they are thought about. Um, it makes them feel important. When you can walk into a library and there is something that speaks to you, you feel as if you matter. The main library was my childhood library. I remember walking through the library and really being in awe over the architecture, the tile, just um, the staircase. It felt grand. And so in many ways, I think that keeping the historic aspects of Maine is vital and important, but also moving into the future, expanding and growing as our world expands and grows. I also think that it is in many ways a disservice to not have libraries in communities. I think our communities need libraries, places for people to go. And so to open or reopen Parkland, Fern Creek, to expand Portland, to me is kind of a no-brainer. Um, it's kind of, you know, why would we not want to do that? So when I walk into a library, any library, I kind of feel like I am at home. I could walk into Maine or I could walk into Iroquois for the first time. And it feels like like I've been here before. I think that that is because of the people who work at the library. That's because of what you're surrounded by. I love to see books on the shelves that represent the world in which we live. And in many ways, the library to me feels like it's always a part of my heart. And I just hope that the community can feel that way as well. I actually eyewitness that uh, the library have been improved. Uh, all the libraries have been improved. Uh, uh, there is many activities for the kids, uh, activities for the grown-ups, and many cultures for um, also many languages, uh, which is um, yeah, so good. Yes, the libraries it's very important nowadays. You can find information, history, and even the truth. All the groups maybe um, are very friendly for everyone, and I feel like um, it's very important for all communities yeah, to, to have the libraries, yes. Especially for the international uh, students, uh, there is the many services um, uh, the libraries um, can provide that 
for them, English courses, and even uh, sometimes uh, something is like a computer classes, sometimes it's transportation, which is, yeah, which is, um, uh, they feel like uh, they're, they're still their hometown or something like that. I feel like um, I'm my second home here in the library, even my kids, we love so much uh, all the libraries, especially your Quay library. We find all everything uh, over there. We find what we need, like services, like um, uh, events, uh, even the summer activities. Especially we are here um, with no families, so we, yeah, we feel like we have a second family here in the libraries. Thank you. The library has expanded way past 12 years because I am not a young spring chicken. And I remember in Scranton, Pennsylvania, going from the high school to the library and using the card catalog, everything with technology. That's not my forte, but when you come to every single library, they have everything with technology. And if you need help, they're right there for you. So how it's changed the technology is absolutely unbelievable. But prior to that, I used the library, I'm a retired teacher, for a book collection every month for my children. And also I would send home the summer reading program for them. And when we had parent conference day, the parents saw what was available. So technology has played a big, big factor in the changes, and it will continue. Plus, it's a safe haven for so many of the young people that come from the high schools. And so it's just growing and growing. It's helping people bond together, regardless of what's going on today. The library is a safe haven for everybody. What brought me here to the library? I said, I've got to get back to reality. Okay, I can't forget about all the wonderful things that I used to do. What's something that I can do? The library. So I came in and they have all of these libraries have evening groups and I did a book club. Then here at Northeast Library, they have a kitchen. And I thought, gosh, I love to eat, but I'm not quite ready for that yet. So for me, it opened up an avenue to see new people to make new acquaintances, to understand the differences of people. The only thing I hope it does is that it brings in more diversity. It's very, very important for our library services to be continued and for more and more libraries to be built. It just takes belief in things that can happen and wanting to better our world. That's the way I feel about the library. For me, it was an old beginning turning into a new beginning. The library has improved and expanded since I have been here um, in the last eight years. Just, you know, in the technological realm, as well as building improvements like Northeast, since that has been built, has been a great improvement just as far as, as how many people it can hold. I work at Middletown Library and I know, you know, we are a little bit smaller. So to have Northeast as a larger community center is a very nice improvement and expansion. It means a lot for the community to have more libraries and library services just, you know, in the realm of diversity. When I first started coming to the library, I 
remember we started coming to the old Middletown that was in the police station and that was really great but it did not offer as many and as much of a variety of programs as Northeast now offers and I think it's very helpful for members of the community to be immersed in each other's cultures um, through library programs and I think it's really good for um, people who come here to not only be able to gather in that community space but also to be able to gather and be influenced by each other's cultures and learn more about each other. Expanding and renovating um, new and existing libraries is definitely a good thing. I think that, you know, we need as many libraries as possible. To have that community space and to have it in so many other places, so many other locations, um, is definitely an improvement and is good for the community. I have been involved in the library since I was um, very small. I was able to meet a lot of librarians and just kind of see the work that they do. And when I was old enough to apply for the job, I did because it seemed like a very good job as far as getting to meet new members of the community and getting to handle books and it made me feel a greater part of the community because I was serving the community in that capacity. So I moved down from the woods three years ago and as far as I knew that's when the library started was when I arrived. You mean it's been here longer? Huh. Oh, well I do have to say, I know that they've started the Collider Artist Residency, and that has continued to expand, which I was a part of, and it was so much fun. I got to make art, be creative, and really express myself with all my friends. It was such a great experience, so I love to see that the library keeps growing and changing every day. And I really love all the programs they do here. They got the How-To Festival, the Steam Day, Greatest play day? Did you come to that? I got to play with chalk and paint and dirt. We had so much fun outside. It was the best. Oh, oh, but my favorite is the summer reading program. It's amazing. You get to read books and get prizes? I mean, come on. What's better than that? Libraries are so important. They help out the community to bring us together so we can learn and grow and make friends and come up with new ideas. I just love the library so much. I move my treehouse here. I live here all the time. It's my favorite place to be. <laughs> Is more better? Do I want two pine cones or 20? I want more. More libraries is better. Come on. We got to make them all better. Use that money. Make them nice. Nice libraries make people happy. And then they get to read and feel safe. And that's what's important. I love to read. Before I came here, I, I had only had a couple books. There wasn't that many in the woods. And now I've been exposed to so many cool ideas. I learned about dragons and krakens, time travel, rockets. You can go anywhere with books. It's amazing. Ah, and I've made so many friends. Before, I only lived with one friend, Stick. And now, I've got hundreds. Ah, I love it. Keep giving us libraries. Make them better. We can do this. Hi, y'all.
we're in the middle of summer right now, but there's still plenty of opportunity. Any programs or anything you want to announce here? Oh, well, sure. So there's so much going on. Uh, a couple of things that I'll mention are uh, coming up at the end of July, both on the same night, really. Uh, on July 29th, we've got Angeline Booley, who will, uh, is an author of a wildly popular young adult novel called The Firekeeper's Daughter. She's gonna be at the main library at 6.30 on July the 29th. That same night at eight o'clock, uh, the library will be over at Lynn Family Stadium for a uh, racing Louisville FC soccer game. It is library night at the soccer game. We're gonna be promoting uh, summer reading and our friend Gorp will be there. Uh, also, for the remainder of summer reading, so from now through August 5th, there will be summer reading activities, including a summer reading finale at every location. Uh, you can find information about those at www.lfpl.org. And then uh, one other thing I'll mention is that on September 24th, uh, we'll be doing our STEAM Day at the South Central Library. This is always a, a really popular event. We'll have 1,000, 1,500 people come by. Uh, of all ages to engage in hands-on science, technology, engineering, arts, and math experiences. Well, Lee, I'm really grateful for the, uh, our library system and your leadership and the team we've got going there. I want to thank our patrons. I want to thank our funders, our sponsors. I want to thank Racing Louisville as oh, yeah. well. Last year, they wanted to embrace reading as their cause, and Gorp, our mascot, who might be the most famous person in Louisville right now, uh, Gorp, <laughs> Gorp gets out in a bit. So I just want to thank everybody for supporting our library systems. It's a hub of lifelong learning and entrepreneurism and business creation and nonprofit activity. We're just blessed. So thanks everybody for supporting the library system. I'm Greg Fisher. This is the Mayor Greg Fisher podcast, and we'll look forward to our next discussion.